Thanks all for being back here. Great to see you all here. We were talking before we got started. And I, we got a great response from last week about sharing uh, some of the benchmarks that we've been seeing. So I'm going to continue. We're going to continue to collect some of that data, and then hopefully over a long period of time, have a larger sample, have a lot more confidence in the outcomes that we're getting. As a main way to learn, there are some clear patterns and trends we talked through. There were some great questions after that session that came back that started that challenged you know me and Sydney and some others that have been working on it to think about like. What are the things that are all the high performers are doing? What are the consistencies here? What are the consistencies of the people that are below the median? Why, why is that type of thing happening? Is it their market? Is it their marketing strategy? Is it how much they invest in sales versus marketing? Is it their ACV? There's a ton of different variables that is very, it's almost impossible to tease out when you just look at one company. But when you see 100 companies in a row, then you can start to tease out what are the trends that are consistent across all the high performers, the low performers, et cetera. So, as we continue to learn more of that, which I'm fascinated by, just as personally, I think it's it's crazy to be able to have that type of level of insight as we think about marketing and sales moving forward. So I'm excited to continue to share some of the things that we find there. There's a couple of follow-on topics that we've been talking, as we've been talking through. I've spent some time, and I think I actually talked about it last week, and I've been bringing up a lot about how marketers and marketing leaders oftentimes are in the micro data whether that's like, how did this campaign work? Or is like SEO or SEM what's working? Or is it LinkedIn paid? Or is it LinkedIn organic that's doing things? And really in the the micro of the data, I'm also looking at a micro timescale. So what happened that day? Or what happened that week? Or how many MQ, you know, how many free trials did we get this week? Vary in the micro by segments. So like, uh, instead of just looking at the whole business, we want we need to look at mid market in the UK and look at that and have a de dedicated strategy for the mid-market in the UK. But then we have the enterprise in the UK, we have SMB in the UK, we have enterprise in America, we have SMB and mid-market in America, we have APAC, and they break down the analysis of the strategy into such a micro way, which does have some value. The problem is that when you spend so much time in the micro data, what you come up with are micro changes that don't make a big impact because you don't, you're so in the micro that you can't zoom out and see the bigger picture. And when you look at the macro picture, you look at how is our marketing engine performing overall in terms of ROI and effectiveness over the past 12 months? How does that benchmark against all the companies that are like us and similar budget ranges or revenue ranges or whatever slices that we decide? How is that, where's that revenue makeup coming from and where are we getting high sales velocity? When you zoom out and you look at the macro business, you see macro insights that deliver macro strategy adjustments that deliver big results. And so it's just about being able to zoom out. You need to do both. Don't get me wrong. I talked about a layer approach in the analysis that we want to look at the whole business and the whole go-to-market performance overall. Then we want to break it down by pipeline source. Then we want to break it down and challenge all the investments that we make that drive and power those pipeline sources. And by breaking that down, but most companies just work in the third level, the lowest level possible. What channels are doing? What are the how is what's our attribution software telling us? Should we use a U shape or a W shape? Or some companies that I'm talking to now use both a U shape and a W shape, and I'm like, what? And they're so in the tier three that we need to be able to go up into tier one and tier two and have the context setting for why we're even looking at level three. Why are we down here looking at campaigns? 
The reason is because the top level business performance is going to be telling us a story, which then indicates what should we be looking for. And I've been talking, I spent, spent some time, I did a bunch of market research yesterday. I did three 45 minute calls with CMOs and marketing leaders about this exact problem. I like, I drink my own champagne or eat my own dog food. I do, I do the things that I recommend to everyone on this call on this podcast. I spent time talking with CMOs about this problem. And what they say is it's not about the lack of data. I have a bunch of data. What I don't have is what data am I looking at? What structure do I need to have so I can look at it in the right way? Why am I looking at it? What am I looking for? When I find what I'm looking for, how do I then recognize it with a high confidence that I can actually see that insight and then how do I take action on the insights? And all this layer on top is really the missing piece in go-to-market strategies. It's not about the attribution tool that you use. It's not about how much data that you store in your CRM or whether you use a CDP or you have a big looker database or anything. It's not about that. It's about what are we looking for? When we look at the data, what are we looking for? And then how do we are able to extract that and do something about it? I've just found that the only way to actually get those level of insights is to use the three-tier approach where you start at top level performance and you work your way down, not start at the bottom. So with that, we have been talking to a lot of companies about the sort of the rev diagnostics and some companies, some CMOs ask the question and it's a great question. It's like, what are you, what are you doing that my team isn't already doing? Like, what is, the, what is the difference when we look at one individual company's data? What's the difference? Or why couldn't I just do this on my own? Or maybe I think that I already am doing this on my own. And going through this with now 27 total companies, it's clear that no company is really looking at the data in the way that we're looking at it. And here's some of the, the, the nuances. One of it is the structure of which you're looking at the data. So one of the key things that we do is across all go-to-market sources, that we define a conversion, which is the point that we say sales take action in the go-to-market. That should be measured across everything, including outbound. An intent data signal comes in, sales goes and makes outbound sequences. That is a signal to generate a sales action. And partner and events could all be the same thing. So tracking that as a conversion and then tracking the outcome of that conversion. Did we connect with the customer? Did we book a meeting? Did we move it to an opportunity? Did it become qualified? Did it become close one? Where are the breakdowns in the process? What are the efficiency metrics of that process? And then all of a sudden, you're a big company, you're doing 100 million ARR, and you track it that way, you have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of data points that then you can analyze. And when you analyze all those data points, you start to see easy patterns and trends, which is effectively all you're saying is, what are the right signals to get our sales team involved where we close deals at high ROI, at high sales velocity in a scalable way? And the entire go-to-market team could be looking at that and basically make objective decisions, not like the CMO saying we need MQLs and the sales leader saying we need more MQLs, looking at it as a go-to-market team and saying, here are all the available things that we do to trigger our sales team to take action, invest time, our most expensive resource. Do we want to do more of the things where it takes our sales team one out of 800 times to close a customer? Or we want to figure out how to do more of the things where we win one out of 10 conversations or outreaches that we make we win a customer? because most of the investment in B2B go-to-markets are around the one out of a thousand. The LinkedIn lead gen, Google performance marketing, content syndication, the investments in marketing go to the places where the, the lead to customer rates are abysmal, super low. Why wouldn't we, as a go-to-market team, say, okay, well, our you know, website hand raisers, we get one out of eight become a customer. When our partner brings a deal to us, we win one out of six, 
when we do these types of events and webinars, when we actually get an opportunity, we win 30% of these opportunities, this type of webinar is really working. Why don't we use these places to, to be the places that trigger our sales team to take action and we start to optimize for these types of things? And so we look at the data fundamentally differently, which is using that trigger of sales action to determine the efficiency through the funnel, which I haven't seen a, a single company look at in a granular way like that. Typically, they'll think that they're doing it because Visible tracks the last touch, but then they apply like a U-shaped model to it in an influence way and it starts to get all like muddled. So the first off is like, what data do you look at and how do you structure the data to look at it with the insight of why am I looking at it? That's a big different thing that we do. The next thing is that without having a view of not only what's going on in my company, but also what's going on at... 25, 100, 1,000 companies that are like my company. And I think like my company is best framed as they have a similar budget to us or they have a similar uh, pipeline production than us, not, not necessarily on ARR. As companies, it's easy to segment based on employee count and total like revenue, but I've actually found that marketing budget size and pipeline size, and then maybe even ACV could be other ways to slice the data that might actually give you more relevant benchmarks and insights. If you don't have the view of like what's going on in the data at all these other companies and what are the benchmarks like, then you might not, you might be a high performer and not even know it, which I talk to companies, they're getting $3 in, mar in revenue for every dollar they spend on marketing and don't think that they're a high performer. And it's like, you're the top five companies that we've analyzed in my entire career and you don't think that you're a high performer. So having the view of here's what's going on at a bunch of companies, not only from a benchmark standpoint, but being able to identify, hey, every other company that we've looked at has had this metric look like this. Yours is different. We need to understand why it's different. It could actually be a good thing. Not being the same as everyone else isn't always a bad thing. Often, Sometimes it can be a good thing. So why is this abnormality happening? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? And then if it's a good thing, how do we do a bunch more of it? If it's not a good thing, how do we get this thing up to benchmark if it's the highest priority in our engine? Um, so having the view and the benchmarks, I think, is really important. And then lastly, there's, there's an element of process and consistency and being able to optimize and improve the process that comes through scale. And so in terms of the automation level, in terms of, hey, see, like seeing inconsistencies in certain data and making updates to how you look at the data or the process, and overall just being able to focus on how do we get the most repeatable outcome with the best insights, I think is another thing that an internal team isn't focused on. An internal team saying, what report does the CEO need this week and how do I get them that report? Not, is this even the right report to look at? And it's a different level of thinking between let me get you that Salesforce report or let me build that dashboard versus what dashboard should we build. And I think that there's a there's a need to have sort of a some source, it doesn't have to be my company, it could be your three peers of CMOs, some source that's coming that are companies like you coming from the outside that's looking at the data in the same way to help you on like level set and understand how your overall performance is doing. And this was totally impossible five years ago totally impossible. Most companies didn't have CRM compliance, marketing data wasn't connected with sales data, the data like tech tools weren't, sales teams weren't using any tracking on their emails. Like none of this stuff was possible five years ago. And now it all is. And I think it gives us a lot of power when we think about trying to, you know, make big investment changes and think about strategy, I think gives us a ton of power.
um, in making those decisions. So really excited as I continue to dig in. We're starting two more this week um, and getting a really, I'm trying to start three more in January, by the way. So for anyone listening to the podcast, if you're a CMO or a go-to-market leader that works at a company that's 50 to 250 million ARR, and you're interested in sort of going through this process and getting our strategy insights based on your own performance data and budget data, then would be happy to uh, talk about that and see if it could be a good fit. So we're continuing to work on these things and I'll continue to share the insights. I know that a lot of people on this call are looking more for like, what are the tactical things that high performers are doing? I shared some of that stuff in my post today. I think that market is a key one. So if you're like looking for a, your next role, right? At the end of the year, some companies, are th- some people are thinking about changing roles. I would think about looking at the market as a as a something that I personally wouldn't have looked at so much a couple of years ago that through my learnings and working with a lot of companies, market and the product being a need to have for a long period of time, not like uh, not like masks during COVID, like a long a need to have for a long period of time, I think is a huge factor. The thought leadership one to uh, we need it's still a small sample, but the early indicators are like that, and it makes perfect sense. You do an or a thought leadership strategy that doesn't cost a lot of money; it costs a lot of time. It's not actually expensive, and it doesn't scale through media spend. That you do that, which has a low investment, and if it works, it has a massive ROI that it actually can make up for a bunch of stuff that you do that doesn't have a good ROI. Because when you blend it all together, you take the programs and investments, but you put that really high ROI program in there, you blend it all together, you can still have a 3x ROI on your marketing spend. So having that thing creates a a lot of flexibility in your go-to-market engine to be able to experiment with things and do things that might not work while still having a program that delivers high ROI and, and scalability. So that one was really important. I'm not, I think I, we need to spend more time in the data, but it seems like there's a pattern that companies that have a higher ACV and a stable high ACV tend to have better marketing ROI, more to be said there. But I, you know, I think some people could see that intuitively making sense, right? If you sell a 100K ACV product or you sell a 4K ACV product, the crazy thing is that both of those companies are kind of using a similar go-to-market motion and investment structure. 4K ACV, they still have SDRs, they still run performance marketing paid, some some lower ACV products even move more because it's so transactional. And the amount of money they invest to, they acquire more customers, but they spend the same amount of money to acquire them and they're such lower, they're 25X lower value between 4K ACV and 100K ACV. So some of it intuitively makes sense that lower ACV products would at least be more susceptible to lower ROI, which is based on revenue and volume of deals. So, and I'm interested to look more in the, at the tactical level, like what are these high performers doing? But to be honest, like when we look at it, most SaaS companies almost run the exact same playbook. It's just whether they're heavier in events or heavier in digital. But what they do in events is the same, trade show conferences, field marketing events, webinars, and then what they do on the digital side, content syndication, Google performance marketing, LinkedIn performance marketing, maybe throw in some ABM display ads. It's just about how it's just about how the pie is split. And high performers are doing those things too. So the question the question then becomes why if the high performers are doing a lot of the same tactics, why are they getting a high performing ROI than the lower performers? Which is some of the things that I mentioned, market, ACV, um, thought leadership being a core component that that drives up overall ROI. So those are the patterns that I've, I wish I had some like amazing things. It's like, oh, this is exactly what the high performers do on LinkedIn ads. But honestly, the high performers run LinkedIn ads a lot the same as a low performer would, which leads me to believe that 
it's it's not about how good you are at running the LinkedIn lead gen program. It's that the LinkedIn lead gen program doesn't work. So maybe before we go, Ashley and Sydney, if there's any follow-ups or any things that you want to drop in or some from the chat, uh, just so we can pop it into the recording before people are talking, and then we'd love to get into all the questions that we can. Yes, the chat has been blowing up. Um, a lot of feedback from people that it's not just marketing leaders, it's actually founders that they're having this conversation with, or even potential board members that are trying to understand what's going on with mm. this top of funnel, what's happening here. And I think it's because they're the wider macro marketing ROI is not performing efficiently. So they are now then trying to get into the weeds and asking these questions. That's mm. so not just the go to market leaders or the CRO um, that everybody's struggling <sighs> yeah, with here in the chat. Totally. Yeah. When, when, uh, when things are going good, no one on the board is going to be looking at your attribution data. No one on the executive team is going to be looking at your attribution data. And all of a sudden things slow down, things get, and then all of a sudden everybody cares, which is, it's crazy because I spent so much time talking about being efficient in marketing during 2020 and 2021 that fell on deaf ears. Totally. I, re I remember like having conversations about how we help companies like lower CAC, which what does that mean? Get more customers with the same amount of money. That's what lower CAC means. How can we help companies lower CAC? And they're like, what do you mean? We want to spend $5 million more on marketing next year. I want to deploy 600K in incremental next month and then keep growing it from there. I don't care about CAC. And then those behaviors catch up with you, which is uh, what sort of happened here. And it gets really hard to untangle because now the budget is very large. There are large investments there. If you don't have a clear sight or a clear understanding of what's working and what's not, you just could, you're just going to keep running the same machine and just incrementally lowering the budget, which is, I think, what's been happening. So they'll take headcount down, like, okay, we have to cut the budget by 20%, headcount down 20%, but they'll try and find that with agencies and freelancers before full-time employees first. And then we'll take all the field events and we'll just cut 20%. So we're just going to do 20% less webinars, 20% less trade shows, 20% less field events. And then on digital, we'll just take 20% off of LinkedIn. We'll take 20% off of content. And you just you just take everything down by 20% when most of the things are delivering low ROI to begin with. And just taking it down just means you get, you get the same ROI, which is spending less, which doesn't actually solve the core problem. How you solve the core problem is you find the things that have low ROI and you get rid of them and you move them to things that have high ROI. But I totally agree with the sentiment that it's definitely not just it, I interact with the marketing leaders and the go-to-market leaders during the projects, but those questions are often other people at a you know that are at a higher altitude are also looking at those details and want more info on what's happening. Yeah, and to speak about the third-party aspect is what we're finding or what I'm finding in conversations is a lot of people are looking for validation from others to give them the confidence to completely shut off the low ROI stuff, um, and that is confidence not just from like refined labs or something that customers we work with, but it's happening organically to the peers that they trust, to mentors that they have. Um, they're just really nervous. I don't think because they've ever made like a macro adjustment before in their mm. strategy and they've only really made micro adjustments and it's like, that's not going to get you to win. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, the frame of thinking for everybody on this call between the, like the macro strategy change and the micro incremental improvement and figuring out you you need to do both. But the things that are really like that make your career or change the trajectory of your career, or your company are the macro strategy level things. 
like me running Facebook ads to our target accounts when you could literally go in and do that in 2017 was a macro strategy change and spending a million dollars on advertising within the first year to promote our clinical trials and that type of stuff was a macro change in that company's uh, strategy. Me investing in LinkedIn in 2019 when other people told me to build an outbound sales team was a macro decision that made a macro impact. And there are those types of things a lot that the and some of them deliver short term ROI, like within the next quarter, right? Like fixing the conversion flow on your website and not having like four different CTAs and aligning on the best performing CTA and moving forward with that can have a dramatic impact on pipeline almost immediately. And so it's not to say that macro changes need years to develop like a LinkedIn strategy, which I don't believe takes years to develop for the record, but it doesn't have to be a long time. It's that you're thinking at a different level where you're looking for big gains, not trying to get the cost per lead down by 15 cents or 15% over the next year. It's the decision of, is the best investment of my time to optimize the machine that I'm running or is it to go get another fucking machine, to go build a different machine? That's really the, the, deci the decision. And sometimes when you start at the top level and you see, oh, our marketing ROI is 46 cents for every dollar we spend, you can start to say a lot of the machine isn't working. Maybe we should be looking for macro changes, not micro changes. And the contrary, when we look at companies and they're getting $3 in marketing for every dollar or $3 in revenue for every dollar they spend on marketing and the machine is already working, then in the lens where you go underneath it, you're looking more for the micro improvements than the big macro. We'll still recommend a macro strategy if it's, if it's obvious and would help them. But when the machine's already running, you're looking for micro improvements. When the machine isn't running properly, you're looking for a new machine.